1: pft pm shireen williams mike florio with you on peacock good afternoon welcome in days like this shireen are perfect for this afternoon show because between the time that we sign off pft live and we begin this program eight hours later a lot of things tend to happen and today a few things did
2: Well, hopefully you'll have me for the whole entire hour, too, and not have to wing it by yourself, although you're very good at that, I will say.
1: Well, you know, I did PFT Live for about a year by myself, and I can't imagine in hindsight how I actually pulled that off, because it's hard enough to deal with Sims for two hours, but at least I have someone else (laughs) who will, like, take the microphone and talk for seven straight minutes, which gives me a break. So uh, it, it it was a flashback, but let's not jinx it. So far, so good. And, uh, you know, jinx is a key word here because back in August when the NFL was kind of subtly thumping its chest from time to time about the success it was having in keeping the coronavirus out of 32 team facilities, I had a head coach text me and say, would somebody please tell them to shut up? Because number one, you're jinxing us. And number two, you're going to make people complacent if they think it's no big deal. And after three weeks of the regular season, we kind of thought it was no big deal. And for the past two weeks, it's been the biggest deal that the NFL has had to contend with. And I answer these emails every day, Shereen. Why are you talking about the coronavirus? Why? Why are you talking? Well, because there are significant issues as it relates to whether teams can practice and play when games are going to be played. And it's driving the discussion. I'd rather not talk about it. I'm sure you'd rather not talk about it. But the circumstances are forcing us to.
2: And guess what? It's going to be the lead storyline for the rest of the year. I mean, we've had multiple game changes now. We're going to have more. We see that. This is not going away, Mike. And, and COVID is here and COVID rules. And it's about risk mitigation. Once it's in the locker room, as you've pointed out, how do you keep it from spreading? And it's going to get into locker rooms. And we've seen that yet again today with yet another team in the Jets.
1: Yeah, and that's what happened today, not long after we wrapped the program earlier. I caught wind that the Jets had a player who tested positive, poked around, wanted to be responsible for a change. I was so tempted to go with it because I trusted my source, but I I wanted to confirm it and I wanted to get more information and I learned that it's a presumptive positive, could end up being a false positive, we don't know. The Jets sent everyone home out of an abundance of caution got a retest of the player who tested positive. And because the Jets are in New Jersey and they're not that far from the lab that does the testing, they're expecting to hear something sooner rather than later. I just found out they haven't heard anything yet, and here we are at 5.03 p.m. Eastern. But that's one of the realities of this, Shereen. how quickly you find out the results of your off-site PCR testing is driven by literally how far they have to drive to take the samples to the lab. Some teams get their PCR offsite test results early evening. Some get them late evening. Some get them middle of the night. Some get them the next morning. And for something that is that important, especially when we're monitoring the potential for an outbreak, you'd like to think there's a better way, but there isn't. It all hinges on how long it takes to get the samples from point A to point B.
2: Yeah, Mike Frabel said the other day they get their test at 4.30 a.m. So he gets up looks at the test, are there positives, no positive. And, of course, the way they've gone, there have been positives almost every day. We did. We haven't had any, and maybe they'll get to open their facility and maybe they'll get to play this week. Uh, they're on the right track. But we've seen this before when they had one day with no positives and then, boom, the next day they had positives. So, They've got to have two straight days without positives, and everyone there is crossing their fingers. But, again, we won't know until 4.30 a.m. whether anybody tested positive today. So they need to do these quicker. And I know back when this first started, Mike, you wrote a story in March, April, somewhere around there, that they expected that by August, and and again, thumping their chest, expected by August – that we would have turnaround tests 15 minutes, boom, before you go into the facility. We're gonna test you. We're gonna know if you have COVID before you walk into the building. That obviously hasn't happened. We have a donut hole in the testing as well. When they weren't testing on what the day of the game, day before the game, they weren't testing. And we've had that donut hole shine itself brightly this week. And so, It it hasn't gone exactly as the NFL planned starting back in March. And it's going, again, it's going to be the main storyline, whether people like it or not. We don't like it. But it's going to dictate this season for the NFL and and how it goes. And we're going to have more games postponed, guaranteed.
1: The biggest donut hole is the incubation period. And that's something that I'm not sure anybody's really focused on until we got into the season and recognized. If someone has an exposure one day, they may not generate a positive test for four or five days. And there are mixed signals from the NFL in a variety of respects as it relates to the pandemic. But one of them is the impression they were creating by the extremely flexible roster rules. And most specifically, Shireen, the rule that allows up to 16 members of the practice squad to be elevated to the active roster as late as 90 minutes before kickoff. Which creates the impression that you could find out on Saturday a bunch of guys are positive And, hey, we got 16 practice squad players. We're going to bump up as many as we need to, and we're going to be good to go. Or if they find out on Sunday, if there's a test that gets redone, if there's an on-site point-of-care test, they actually don't do the point-of-care test because they're concerned about false positives. But it created the idea that you just take one guy out and put another guy in. What we're learning is... It's not as simple as taking one guy out because once you take the one guy out, you got to figure out who else may end up getting this. Whether it's people who are in close contact, whether it's people who were in close contact but it didn't show up through the tracking device. That was one of the concerns last Saturday night with the Saints. Four guys sitting around Michael Burton, the fullback who had a false positive, they weren't flagged by the league's device. As to people who needed to be monitored and tested, even though they were close enough that they would have gotten it. So, th- this is a disconnect. And that's why, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, no big deal. Guy's positive, just kind of kick him to the curb until he's ready to come back and keep going. That's not happening. That's why they sent everybody home today from the Jets facility. That's why the Patriots have been home for a few days. That's why the Titans aren't back. Once it's in, you don't know when the next domino has fallen until days after the fact. And that chain can continue. And I think it took the Titans example to get the league to take a step back and say, holy crap, this is a hell of a lot more complicated than we thought.
2: Yeah, it's not as simple as next man up for sure. And that's what the NFL motto has been for years. Hey, next man up. Hey, we have an injury. Our quarterback's out. Next man up. Next man up. Well, this isn't next man up, and it's not as simple as that. The Patriots haven't, you mentioned them, they haven't practiced all week. Now, they are planning on opening, reopening their facility tomorrow, having practice at 10.30 a.m. It will be their only practice of the week before they go play. So here you go, Um, and that's kind of how it's going to be. This is going to be almost like winging it in the NFL for, for much of this season for a lot of teams. Maybe not all teams go through this, but we've seen multiple teams now have to sort of wing it. And coaches are not, as we know, good at winging it. So they're going to have to learn how to do that and learn learn how to do it in an effective and efficient way because a lot of this is going to be virtual meetings. You're not going to get to practice off-site as we've seen the Titans do and are going to pay a, a stiff punishment, we think, for that. And so um, they're going to have to make do with what they have and, and sort of be impromptu and be flexible on on everything this entire year.
1: One thing, and I'm going to go off script here, even though we've got several other topics to get to in this opening segment. Paul Allen, by the way, Vikings play-by-play voice, is going to join us in about 10, 15 minutes. The Harbaugh rule is now in effect. And if a coach or anyone approaches an official with the mask down, and I assume they mean coach because the... The, 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 the players don't have a mask that they can put on when they're on the field. So this is directed mainly at coaches who would be giving an official an earful. If you pull your mask down, if your face isn't covered, you're subject to a 15-yard penalty or a suspension or fine or loss of draft picks. And that's a reaction to the complaint that was made because John Harbaugh was in the face of an official last Monday night against the Chiefs. And, and this is another one of the disconnects, because when I asked the league this week, hey, is there still a rule that says you guys can't congregate closer than six feet together after games? They said, yeah, that's still the rule. And then they sent me the CDC information that says you got to be within six feet of someone for 15 minutes to transmit the virus. So, OK, well, why are you sending me this? Why are you citing this? If your rule is you can't do it and why is your rule that you can't do it? If the CDC guidance says you have to be pressed together for 15 minutes. So there's all these mixed messages everywhere we look. And this is another one. The NFL in one breath would say, no pun intended, that you have to be in the same vicinity as someone else for 15 minutes to transmit the virus. And then in the next breath, they say thou shalt not approach an official with your mask uncovered or your face uncovered. So uh, it would just be nice, whether it's the NFL or society at large. For us all to have one set of rules that we go by as to how this thing works. Because it's all over the place. And I, I, I is that too much to ask, Shereen? That we just have one set of rules
2: for this thing? <laughs> I I want one set of rules. That would be fantastic. And then everyone would know how to react. You know, people are still sticking out their hands to shake their hands. I saw it. If you watched Hard Knocks, and I know you didn't watch much of it, I don't think, this year. but. I, I watched all of Hard Knocks, and the first thing, I think it was the first episode, maybe the second, when Sean McVay is going to cut a player, he immediately reaches out his hand and shakes hand. And I tweeted, Sean, somebody tell Sean McVay to stop shaking hands. And I know it's natural, and I know it's what we're accustomed to doing, but all those things have gone away, and they're probably going to go away forever. So... I don't know if it's a fist bump or an elbow bump or figure something else out and let's let's have a rule that what we're going to do to uh, greet each other and all those polite other things. Nod. It'd be nice to know. Polite nod would be great. A polite
1: nod, a salute, whatever the case may be. We'd like one set of rules. Every team would like one starting quarterback. It looks like the 49ers have theirs back. Jimmy Garoppolo will start on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. Here's Kyle Shanahan talking about his returning first-string quarterback.
0: I've been around too many guys with high ankle sprains that it can be perfect until all of a sudden just one play you get in one weird position and then it goes back to how you felt a week before Um, high ankle sprains are just different They, they linger for a while and so that's why I've seen guys come back in two weeks from them and I've seen it I've seen it linger with guys an entire season where they miss about five games and they come back for two and then they just do something little and then they're messed up for three more weeks. So it's just an annoying injury um, that you always think is better, but then you get reminded in one specific movement that you can't really replicate until it happens on the field. And then you're reminded, oh, wait, I'm not as good as I thought. So that's why we're not trying to make any quick decisions with it. And it has gotten better each day, um, but we got to, those high ankle sprains are always pretty weird
1: now jimmy garoppolo isn't a guy that does a lot of cutting he's not a mobile quarterback but he isn't a statue either he does move around and this is something he's going to be feeling most likely they'll give him pain medication as they always tend to do but You know, this is a a multi-week injury. Usually it takes four to six weeks for it to completely heal. And uh, they they need him back because Nick Mullins was awful on Sunday night. C.J. Beathard was okay in limited duty, but there's a reason he was number three on the depth chart. So Garoppolo comes back, and the 49ers need to turn this around. It's just amazing how quickly the vibe around a team changes. They beat the Jets and the Giants with a ravaged roster, but then they lose to the Eagles, and it's panic button time almost for the 49ers. They need this one because they've got – a gauntlet coming up that is going to test them harder than they were tested last year. They had some tough games last year. The, later this season, they've got like a six, seven-game stretch. they got to have as many of their guys back as they can, Shereen, and they need to get Garoppolo back and get him ready for the games to come. They can't have him coming back cold when they get into this tougher stretch.
2: Nick Bosa's not coming back. Several players on that roster aren't coming back. They're happy to have... Jimmy Garoppolo back. And I tell you what, you could say a lot of things about Jimmy G and question anything you want to question except his toughness. I mean, he played that Jets game, came back in with the high ankle sprain and played and played relatively well in that game after he sprained that ankle. That just showed toughness. And then to come back two weeks, as you said, it's usually a four to six week injury. I didn't think there was any way he was going to play this week. But they certainly need him, and they're glad to have him back. And right before we came on the air, Kyle Shanahan did acknowledge that C.J. Beathard will be the backup quarterback this week. So now we have a demotion with Nick Mullins. So if something happens to Jimmy Garoppolo, that's very important because he might not get through this game. We don't know, as Kyle Shanahan said, how it's going to hold up. But it'll be C.J. Beathard coming in if, if Jimmy G has to go out.
1: So Nick Mullins gets the Dwayne Haskins treatment from number one all the way down to number three, although he wasn't number one, but he's not number two now either. All right. Excuse me. Lamar Jackson mispractice Wednesday with a knee injury. Apparently he would have practiced on Thursday, but he had a stomach bug and he went home and that's what kept him from practicing. He was back today. Here's John Harbaugh, coach of the Ravens and Lamar Jackson talking about his readiness to play on Sunday against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Yeah, he was one hundred percent. He was good. Um, What happened was, you know, the uh, Wednesday his knee just didn't feel, did just it just felt sore, you know, and he just felt like he needed to try to rest it a little bit uh, between him and uh, and Coach Roman and Urban and uh, Ron Medlin, our trainer. Just felt like that was the best course, so that was what happened Wednesday. Then Thursday he was ready to go, but he got sick. Yeah, stomach was really bothering him, so he had to go home. You know, he was just he just I don't know if he ate something bad or what what it was, but. Um he gets you know we all get something like that periodically so that's what that was so um it was just a kind of a strange timing on that whole deal but that's what happened so he's good to go 100% let's
2: do it good problem.
1: All right 100% he's ready to go I know, I don't I don't know how a guy who couldn't practice 2 days ago at all is 100% 2 days later And I think there's always a certain amount of shenanigans that naturally happen here. They don't want to admit that he's banged up. They don't want a target to be on that knee. But, you know, if you don't practice at all on Wednesday because of the knee, that tells me that there's an issue and that he got treatment. And maybe they did. Maybe they cured it. Maybe they healed it. But I've always been concerned about Lamar Jackson because of the physical manner in which he plays Shireen. He's been lucky so far. But it just feels like eventually, if he keeps running the way he does, he's going to get some sort of an injury that causes him to miss some time, and it'd be the RG3 show at that point.
2: And we've seen it, Mike. We've seen it with all these different running quarterbacks. We've seen it. Speaking of RG3, we saw it with him, what the running finally did to him. We saw it with Michael Vick. We saw it with all of these guys. We're going to find out quickly in this game if he truly is 100%. If you see him sitting back in the pocket, I have no doubts he can be a pocket passer, but that's not what makes him special. It's getting outside the pocket and doing other things. We know his rushing guards. We've seen it. But if you see him sitting in the pocket and really not getting outside and, and running, especially when he has some running lanes, then I think we're going to know right away that that knee is definitely not 100%. So we'll be keeping an eye a close eye on the beginning of that game to see how he does uh, with that knee if he gets outside the pocket and, and can run and looks looks good running.
1: Yeah, and uh, if he doesn't, look, uh, I'm not saying the Bengals are ready to knock off the Ravens, but if you take away Lamar Jackson's running ability and make him one-dimensional, not that the Bengals have a great defense, but maybe maybe the, the Bengals can match them point for point and make it an interesting game. We'll see how that all plays out geno atkins will make his debut this season at defensive lineman for the bengals which will help in the effort to put some heat on lamar jackson joe mixon who had a great week in week four three touchdowns 180 yards from scrimmage he's questionable with a shin injury he was questionable with a chest injury last week all right your cowboys shireen one and three and the clappers coming back to town with the new york giants big game this weekend left tackle tyron smith out for the year with a neck injury, Leo Collins previously out for the year, left tackle, right tackle, gone. That's a problem for a team that's having a hard time running the football.
2: Yeah, and Mike, I sat in this chair two weeks ago and told you I had serious con- ter- concerns about Tyron Smith, and I do. I still do. And he's only 29 years old, turns 30 in December, played in the NFL's first season, 20 years old, But it feels like he's been in this league forever. It seems like he should be 39 years old, but he's not. But he's had back problems. He's had these stingers just aren't going away. And Stephen Jones just said on the radio that he is confident that Tyron Smith can get this surgery and come back and be 100% and, and have a long career in front of him. I hope that's the case. But my question would be, he's played with these things since at least 2017. Why didn't we get it fixed before now? Did it just get bad enough that it had to be fixed? Or... Could you have done the surgery before, or is this more serious than what the Cowboys are letting on? We don't know the answers to any of those questions, but he's been one of the all-time great tackles in the NFL. I think he's on track to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but it's been a long time, 2015, since he's played a full 16-game season, and I worry about his future a lot.
1: And that offensive line, not what it was a few years ago, and it's starting to really show. The PFTPM Posse account on Twitter, the guy who runs it, clearly a Cowboys fan. He is suggesting this, Shireen. Should the boys shift Zach Martin and Connor Williams to the tackle spots and then reshuffle on the inside uh, the, with Looney and Knight at guard, uh, and uh, what do you think? You 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 know that team better than anyone associated with this production. What do you think about that suggested realignment of the offensive line?
2: Well, Looney is out this week, and you know I've been around a lot of offensive line coaches. Great offensive line, the Bill Callahan's and Jim Turners and Mike Shermans, those types of guys. And all of them to a man say you get your five best offensive linemen on the field. And there was a game when Tyron Smith missed that they had to move Zach Martin over to right tackle uh, because, I'm sorry, left left. he played right tackle because Terrence Steele was getting killed so much. They had Terrence Steele at right tackle and Brandon Knight at left tackle, and they had to move Zach Martin to right tackle because Terrence Steele was so bad, undrafted rookie. I think that you need your best five offensive linemen on the field. That would be Zach Martin or Connor Williams, who played tackle in college at right tackle and left tackle. Now, Brandon Knight's not terrible at left tackle. You can keep him there. But one of those guys has to move out to right tackle. You have to be better out there without Lyle Collins. I think that's been the big weakness for them uh, this season so far, is that right tackle position. So, yes, I think it's a great idea when Looney comes back, you play him, move him to guard, and, and play him out there and move Zach Martin to right tackle. I think it's a fantastic idea. What they do this week, I don't know. We'll see if Terrence Stills is going to start. Cam Irving is close to coming back. He might be the answer at right tackle when he comes back.
1: And the far greater concern this weekend, the defense, because if they can't slow down, yes. Jason Garrett and company, Mike Nolan may be gone come monday and mike mccarthy may need to start worrying a little bit about his job security too all right we need to take a break i am told that paul allen voice of the vikings is on the line we'll be right back with some talk about the vikings latest opportunity to win in prime time and to beat the seahawks something coach mike zimmer has never done we'll be back with more pftpm right after this
0: I think he's just continued to evolve into uh, one of the best receivers in the game. You know, I, you know, n- n- not to be shy about it. I think that he is uh, one of the top top receivers in the game. He can do it all. He can run by you. He can jump over you. He can he can be physical with you, as you guys saw on, on, on a little on a little pass to the right there, and at the end of the game, he he um, he just approaches the game the right way. He's a professional. He's everything that you'd want. He's a high character guy. You know, he's a guy who is going to leave it all on the field every time, and. Uh, that's what i love about dk metcalf um, he's the best in the world of what he does
1: high praise from russell wilson for dk metcalf the last player taken in round two in the 2019 draft joining us now because the minnesota vikings play the seattle seahawks on sunday Night football on nbc our good friend paul allen who will be calling the game remotely right you don't go to the road games you're doing the radio call from where where do you do it from uh, from the Vox Box at
3: U.S. Bank Stadium and uh, same place we call the home games. And, um, you know, the, uh, the first one against Indianapolis, we have uh, the TV copy and an all 22 coaches angle. And it, it was tricky. Now, the second one against uh, with Houston, I thought it got better, but it but bus 2020.
1: Yeah, that's how it all works. And uh, you do a great job with the call. That's the only compliment you're ever going to get out of me. Tell me about the Vikings (laughs) plans. And let's start with DK Metcalf because he really is unstoppable. You throw in Tyler Lockett and you look at the issues the Vikings have had in the secondary this year with all the turnover and the reliance on young corners. You got any chance to slow these guys down or is this just going to be who can score the most points?
3: Man, I mean, when, when you come into a game led by Mike Zimmer and you got Eric Hendricks who will play, I mean, you're supposed to have a chance. Now, I mean, no Daniil, no Anthony Barr. Barr for sure for the season. Daniil maybe. I mean, that makes it tough, obviously. And then you got those young corners. So, the, you know, the thing is, Mike, with, with this offense, with Cook and Thielen and Jefferson, it, um, it gives you a chance right now into the second quarter of the season to stay in these games and win these games as the defense continues to mature. So I think it's going to be really high scoring saying the team's going to go there with or without the 12s and beat Seattle for the first time in a decade and a half. That's tough to do.
2: <laughs> hey, Paul, the Seahawks are obviously struggling on defense. They're dead last 32nd in total defense decent against the run, but they've really struggled against the pass. Kirk Cousins last week had 260 yards, which is a season high. Is this a game maybe we see Kirk Cousins break out and, and really be the guy for them uh, this week?
3: Hi, Shireen. Um, excellent question because it was posed to me earlier with that Seattle nice run defense with Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, Quandre Diggs, and Puna Ford. Uh, you know what? Uh, Vikings left tackle Riley Reef, right tackle Brian O'Neill, and center Garrett Bradbury in the run game are playing at an amazingly high level. So that's what Kubiak does. He runs, and those guys are good. So is Dalvin. So you run at him. Now, from a pass defense standpoint, uh, they, they clearly have found ways to get Cousins around not being a straight-pocket drop guy and to put up yards and points. And, and I'm just, you know, when I heard Russell Wilson talking about DK Metcalf, I mean, with all due respect to DK in his second year, Thielen is markedly more accomplished than him, and this Justin Jefferson might be rookie of the year. So when I heard Russell talking about DK, it reminded me of people talking about Thielen and Jefferson.
1: Yeah, you know what, Paul though, I'd still take DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett over Thielen and Jefferson. All due respect. They 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 mm-hmm. they are all for Very good, but there's something special about Metcalf, and I think the ceiling for him is unlimited.
3: I I don't think you're right on that, And, and I rarely argue with you because you're lawyer raised and you always beat me. But Tyler and or DK have had Russell all their careers. Adam has not. So to do what Adam has done, despite the tumultuous nature of this offense at times, I've been waiting to say this for 19 years. You're wrong, and I'm right, and Shireen's always right.
1: You know, I'm in a good mood today, and I'm being courteous to you since it's your first visit to PFTPM. Like so I'm not hair. going to engage you either further. Your hair, your hair really is fabulous today. I'm glad Thank it's. You. I'm 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 glad it's not like I've seen some photos where it's like Albert Einstein on steroids. Okay. But what what it, it was going to be Einstein
3: esque, but then when I knew Shireen was part of this, I'm like, all right, a little bit of gel, some hairspray. Fifty four years Looks of age good. with that hairline, Shireen will appreciate it. Mike will be envious. Now Mike's got nice hair though. I'm older than you. And, I'm fifty-five. Yeah, he's so younger than us. Oh.
2: How about that?
3: Yeah, I yeah. know, I know. Uh, like, Paul, I know. You don't you don't you look younger than us. KFN. You don't you, you don't, don't look KFN I will say this completely with these get off my lawn type old man takes. Yeah, I know you're older yeah. than me.
1: Hey, uh tell me what happened to the offense between the first two games and the last two games, because I was ready to give up. I was I was saying yeah. tank for Trevor until they woke well, it up the last two weeks.
3: It's a great question, but I mean, seriously speaking, okay. Aaron Rodgers' performance in that first game of the whatever I've called in 19 years, it's the most in-control, dominating quarterback performance I've ever witnessed live in my life. Both teams, Favre. Breeze came in here in 2011 and kind of did it. but So so they came into it completely squared away. With the Vikings and all that youth and no preseason and that virtual offseason and Riley Reef situation, you know, getting taken care of a little late, it just didn't click initially. Then in Tennessee, they hold him to six field goals. Sadly, one was a game winner. And the offense gets going and, and the identity's there with Dalvin and Jefferson blows up. So you just had to wait, man, because of no preseason games for Gladney and Danzler and unique Ngakwe got here like 72 hours before the first game. And Jefferson and so on. So that that's the answer, whether people want to accept it or not.
2: You alluded to Nguakwe. How much have they missed, or have they missed Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin? I think those were their two leading sackers last year.
3: Yeah, well, without Daniel, it's been devastating. Now, you know, the the Daniel Hunter situation popped up right at the beginning of training camp. They were coy about it, as you know, Shereen, you've covered it forever. They don't; they're not obligated to give injury info at that time of the uh, progression. Um, but those in the know kind of knew it was bad, and it might be like season long bad. But for now, it's four games. Um, And then Everson, you know, they had every chance and Everson had every chance to come here and they had every chance to re-sign him and it just never worked out. So I don't really know how that worked out. And, you know, I texted Everson, who I like a lot. God bless you, man, and best of luck in Dallas. I want to see him do well. But now Ngakwe comes in and he's different than anything we've had with Daniel and Everson because Ngakwe's pass-rushing guy. That's who he is. But now, specifically against Wilson, as you know, you got to get that contained, man. And Andre Patterson, the co-coordinator the and the D-line coach, I ain't kidding you. He's the best in the NFL. And everybody will say it, including George Edwards down there in Dallas. So Patterson is kind of raising Ngakwe's overall game's getting better. But again, you got to be patient.
1: I tried to convince myself to pick the Vikings this week because of the fact that the Vikings are going to Seattle without the 12s, without the the noise, the sound. It's deafening out there, even if there's just 10,000 people, the way they've designed that stadium. But I just couldn't ultimately do it. I, I, I just feel like the Seahawks' offense will outperform the Vikings' offense, even though the Seahawks' defense isn't very good right now, and it'll be a lot better when it gets Jamal Adams back. I just couldn't pull the trigger. I think the Vikings cover the spread – Not that that matters in the standings, but make the case as to why I'm wrong on that point that the Vikings will win. And if you're right, we'll never mention it again. If you're wrong, we'll play the tape Monday. (laughs) I mean,
3: let's be square here, Michael and uh, Shireen, is without this fan base and Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins has done some great things, specifically the last year and change. And but he does have the fidgety gene. Okay, now there are no 12s. Now the injury report for Seattle, I mean, it's like that. Okay. So they're either not playing or they're playing hurt and they have the bye next week. (laughs) I mean, if you can't really really get them or go right down to the wire in an epic game uh, on Sunday night football with Florio on TV, then it's probably never going to happen in that situation because our offense is, I'm not kidding you, man. If our offense goes in there, And we run up like 310 yards and 17 points. I mean, I had in there absolutely convinced this Jefferson Thielen, Cook, Irv Smith, Jr., Rudolph, the way the line's playing, we're going to score. So if Seattle wins, it's going to have to score 35 or more. Mark my words.
1: Yeah, and I think it is going to be a high-scoring game, Paul. And we look forward to seeing it on Sunday night. And I'm sure all the Vikings fans who listen to you every week look forward to hearing you call the game. Before we let you go, though, we're, we're, we're curious: is there, is it, no, no, no? Is there a dog behind you oh, to your right? Is that a dog back there? We can't tell. Teddy, hey, Teddy, Teddy hasn't moved. Is Teddy alive? Okay, he's going to get Teddy. Teddy looks like a good boy, but oh, there's Teddy. Yeah, hi, what's up, Teddy? Look, look Teddy woke for his nap. And me, big mean Michael T- Teddy. Okay? Teddy's, Teddy's pissed. You bite Teddy's right like, there. "What did you do to me? What did Teddy. you do to me?" Yeah, hi, Teddy. <laughs> Teddy's a good boy. Hi, <laughs> Teddy. Bye, guys. All right, Paul, uh, take care of Teddy. Thanks. Um, Thanks, all right. Paul. Bye, there he is, Paul Allen. Teddy, Teddy's a good boy. Teddy can be trusted to not make any noise. Macy could not survive for 15 minutes like that yeah. or even maybe a minute and a half over my shoulder okay time to talk about what we can't wait to see this weekend week five shereen you're up first what can't you wait to see
2: well can dak prescott pass for more than 450 yards again he's done it the last three weeks he went 266 450 472 502 so judging by that it's going to be more than 502 right if he keeps continuing. To go up that pace but look they they need to run the ball better and maybe this is a week that ezekiel elliott finally gets going he's in the longest stretch of his career without a hundred yard game he's currently at uh six games without a 100 yards the cowboys are 22 and 5 when he rushes for 100 yards i really think they need to get the running game going they're playing the giants defense which is probably the best defense they played. you can argue the rams may be better but at least yards wise The Giants rank fifth in in overall defense. So the Cowboys are going to have a test this week. I think maybe their biggest test they've had uh, for this offense.
1: Same game for me. I think this is such a huge game, even though the teams are a combined one and seven, and it lacks the luster that it has in the past. Even though the Broncos-Patriots game got moved, I was stunned that CBS – shifted the start time of Broncos-Patriots from 1 to 425 Eastern when they have Giants-Cowboys. CBS loves it when they get Giants-Cowboys. That's the game that the networks arm wrestle over every year. This year, it's really not that intriguing, but it is because I'm going to be looking for Jason Garrett... Not just the perfunctory, I don't know what else to do with my hands clap, but clapping and applause because his offense gets it done against the defense. Because I really do think if the Cowboys defense gets embarrassed against Jason Garrett's offense, there will be hell to pay. And my guess is Jerry Jones has read the riot act to everyone about this week because they chose to fire Jason Garrett. And if Garrett is responsible in whole or in part for the Giants coming in and making Jerry look bad – for making that decision there will be other decisions made very quickly and I think Mike Nolan will not be employed come Monday so the more Jason Garrett claps the more likely it is Mike Nolan's going to be packing his bags the next day
2: yeah that's absolutely right Mike I mean Mike Nolan is is on the hook this week he's got to stop that Giants defense which frankly hasn't been hard to do this year everybody stopped him if the Cowboys can't stop him yeah, they're they're in big big trouble, and and Mike Nolan's probably gone on Monday, and there may be some more guys gone on Monday. There there will be a price to pl- pay if they lose to Jason Garrett and these Giants.
1: All right, Shereen, what else you got?
2: My second one is: Have the Eagles turned the corner? Is this the Eagles that we expected to see? Is this a rebound? I mean, when you look at the passer ratings. Carson Wentz is dead last at 33rd. He's still turning the ball over and and doing all the things you don't want him to do. But he did look somewhat better on Sunday. Now, he's not going to have his receivers. We know that. Deshaun Jackson's out. Jalen Rager is still out. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, out. So he doesn't necessarily have the weapons. It's not all his fault. But when you're a quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers and you don't have Devontae Adams and you don't have some of your other receivers, what do you do, Lazard? You step up and you find other guys who can catch the ball. You go to your tight end, Robert Tanyan. So Carson Wentz is going to have to step up and make some plays for us to say the Eagles have turned the corner and they can make do with whatever receivers you put out there.
1: And, you know, the Steelers are not exactly the stiff challenge That We assume they've beaten three teams who aren't very good. They could have lost every one of those games and the only team they've beaten that's won a game was the Broncos who beat the Jets who are winless. So I I'm curious as to what the Steelers really have and I want to see what that front seven does against Carson Wentz and vice versa. So that should be a great game. I want to know this weekend, and I can't wait to see whether we see Alex Smith play. I don't know how much leeway Kyle Allen has. He was ultimately benched last year after he replaced Cam Newton, and he did a respectable job, but it it screams out, as you've said earlier this week, backup quarterback. I think they're just buying time until Alex Smith can play, and I want to see him play. Peter King said today, on PFT Live that if Alex Smith just takes one snap this season he will get Peter's vote for comeback player of the year and I agree with that but I, I just I I look at that division and you look at where the teams are and it's a war of attrition none of these teams has anyone who's waiting around who can make the team significantly better there's no one who's going to show up Alshon Jeffrey I, I don't know that he's ever even going to show up but if Alex Smith Can play like he did before breaking his leg. That changes the dynamic in the NFC East, and that makes Washington a contender. They're only a half game behind first place after four games with Dwayne Haskins, and the sooner they get Alex Smith on the field, the better their chance, Shireen, to be a contender to win that division and somehow host a playoff game.
2: Well, they have a great defense. We saw that the first week with those eight sacks, but they're 30th in offense, and you're right. If they can just find a little bit of offense, score a little bit, help out the defense a little bit, that's going to be a team to contend with. And, you know, Alex Smith, he's made 161 career starts, so he knows how to get it done. He's been there. He's done that. We haven't seen him in almost two years, and to me it's already a great comeback story. Whether he plays or not, it becomes far bigger if he takes that one snap. Now, I think Allen Smith deserves... Some consideration for that comeback player of the year because sitting out five years is really hard to do and come back and do what he's done. But the different circumstances, why they are where they are in their comeback stories, and Alex Smith is truly remarkable. I would love to see him play. I would love to see him become the starting quarterback of Washington and see what they can do with him. What a comeback story
1: ultimately who wins comeback player of the year may be driven by whether washington or dallas wins that division these votes are cast once the dust settles on the season maybe that will be a factor if you make it to the playoffs and you're alex smith or alden smith you get a chance to win the award all right shereen what else are you uh not uh or wh- what is it can't wait to see what else can't, can't you wait, wait to see. see this weekend can't you wait to see well
2: I want to see how the Texans respond to Romeo Cornell. You know, we've heard all this talk of, well, Bill O'Brien berated the players. They hated playing for him. He got in a fight with J.J. Watt and defensive coordinator Anthony Weaver, and that kind of was the, the camel that broke the the straw that broke the camel's back and, and all of those things. So you like Romeo. They've said high praise for him all week. So go out and play for him. Go out and win a game for him and, and show that – Maybe it was Bill O'Brien. Maybe you did need to make this change and go win a game for Romeo Cornell. So I want to see how they respond this week. Are they better than the 0 4 team that we've seen the first four weeks? I don't think they have the talent. I think they're a terrible team. Before the season started, I said they looked to me like a six-win, six seven-win team, uh, team. But we're going to find out this week if coaching can make a difference because they repeatedly have said they love Romeo.
1: Yeah, and look to the extent that there was some sort of a rebellion against bill o'brien i i'm skeptical of this idea that bill o'brien got into verbal altercations in the final weeks of his job with jj watt and anthony weaver the defensive coordinator look bill o'brien is a walking verbal altercation that's who he is that's what he does but if it did get to the point where jj J. watt had the straw that broke the camel's back and watt wanted this and there was some sort of an uprising all right you're right time to go perform you got what you wanted now go do something about it be better than what you've been so far this season I I still feel bad for the Texans because they got the schedule from hell right out of the gates and you know what if Al Riveron doesn't overturn the Will Fuller touchdown catch now I think it was a good call to overturn it but you know as we've discussed earlier in the week he he may not have been fired Bill O'Brien may still be there so let's see what they can do with Romeo Cornell and I finally realized why it this whole, when I ask you, what can't you wait to see? It reminds me of the movie Hell or High Water. And, Shereen, if you haven't seen it, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. Have you seen Hell or High Water? I have not. It is an excellent movie. I highly recommend that you see it. Okay. It was nominated for Best Picture a few years ago. It's set in Texas, so you'll like it. It's about a, a bank robbery uh, pair of uh, guys that get in all sorts of stuff. But there's a waitress in there when the two cops go to the T-Bone Café. She asks them, what don't you want? That's what. And so every time I say, what can't you wait to see, I think, what don't you want? Because the only option you have is whether you don't <laughs> want green beans yes. or don't want corn because you get a T-bone steak and baked potato and that's, not, that's all they serve. So what don't you want? They have a little thing about that. So every time I ask you, what can't you it's wait great. to see, I think of the waitress from the T-bone cafe in Hell or High Water and hopefully at least one person out there was entertained by that last 90 seconds and doesn't feel like they've wasted a minute and a half of their their life that they're never getting back. I can't wait to see how the Browns will do against a team with a great defense, because we saw what they can do against a team with a horrendous defense. They put up 49 points. They don't have Nick Chubb. They did have 307 rushing yards, and he only had 43 of them. They want to get the ball into Odell Beckham Jr.'s hands early. That's what Kevin Stefanski told me after the game. What can they do against that swarming, aggressive, come up and hit you and knock you down and run past your linemen and ultimately just be a very, very good defense in an age of not very good defense? The Browns are going to find out a lot about themselves, and we're going to find out a lot about the Browns this week and next week when they play the Steelers. Three and one, Could go three and three, could go four and two, could go five and one. And it's going to be fun to see what they do over the next couple of games.
2: I think we find out a lot about the Browns in this game uh, just because of the type of defense they're going against. I mean, the Colts declared themselves the best defensive football. Statistically, they are the best defensive football. And this is a great matchup of a to me, a really good offense that can win any way you want it to win. Now, whether they do or not, it's an entirely different story. But they can run the ball and, and you, they can throw the ball on you if Baker Mayfield is is halfway uh, accurate because they have so many weapons out there. So I want to see how they match up, how they intend to to score points on the Colts because they can do it anyway. it's nice to have an ex-rushing champion to fill in when you lose your lead running back and Nick Chubb and I, Kareem... cream. Uh, Hunt, is. I know he's been banged up with that groin a little bit and only had 11 carries last week, but I think he's pretty good to go this week. So I think we're going to see a big dose, a healthy dose of Kareem Hunt.
1: All right, time for one more, Shereen. What can't you wait to see?
2: How about Joe Burrow versus Lamar Jackson, the first of what we think are going to be many divisional matchups between these two quarterbacks And Joe Burrow has played great. He hasn't looked like a rookie from the start, and we know what Lamar Jackson is now. We talked earlier in the show about how the injury might affect him, but it's just going to be a good matchup between these quarterbacks, and I think it's going to be a long list of great games between these two guys.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we're looking for the next Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Now, they didn't play twice a year. They would typically meet once a year in most years and then cross paths from time to time in the postseason. These guys are guaranteed to play twice a year. They're going to be jockeying for division titles. I've said this before. Now, I don't know which way Baker Mayfield is going to go. But let's say Baker Mayfield pans out. The Steelers had better have a plan post Ben Roethlisberger because we got a glimpse of it last week or not last week but last year with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges and uh and they got Josh Dobbs back but man they're going to be in some in some trouble after Ben Roethlisberger is done and they may just need to hope that there's a great quarterback in the draft and get themselves in position to get him. They went a long 20 years between Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger, and they finally bit the bullet in 2004 and and, and went after a quarterback that they believed in, and it worked. But they better be ready to do something like that, or they're going to have some dark years in Pittsburgh with Burrow and Jackson and if Mayfield and the Browns continue on this track the Steelers are not going to have an easy time of it. Okay, let's take a break. We're going to answer some of your questions when we wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM. We'll be back right after this.
2: And on the
3: final, the final play, uh, you were. I mean, they, they mentioned that maybe you didn't know it was worked down. I can't imagine that was the case. What, what was, you know, it was working and five and took the a shot. there were great. That.
0: Yeah, I knew we needed a chunk, and I was thinking about more yardage, and then uh, you know, it was just it was a bad execution. I and mean, We had a great opportunity there, so just didn't uh, didn't execute when we needed to.
3: I think you kind of addressed it a little bit in, in Rick's question, but I mean, was it was it clear for you guys whether it was third or fourth down on on that last play?
0: Yeah, we just uh, you're up against the clock, and you're up against the the. Uh, you know, I knew we had to gain a chunk, so I should have been thinking more first down instead of chunk.
2: And when you go back and you look at that that final drive, um, Tom
1: mentioned that he, he probably shouldn't have taken such a big chunk uh, play right there, but he held
0: up the four fingers, Bruce, and it sure did look like for a minute there he forgot it was fourth down.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how to answer it for him. I mean, we all knew it was fourth down, so uh, um, I think he – He saw what he saw, you know.
1: He saw what he saw. We saw what we saw. We saw this. We saw a guy trying to convince the official that he had another down, or at least inquire as to why he didn't. I don't know whether it was some sort of an elaborate Jedi mind trick and he was trying to finagle an extra down. If so, I say bravo. But when you look at him being asked the questions and trying to answer the questions, he didn't want to come out and admit what I think we all know. He lost track of the downs. And, Shereen, when your biggest selling point is your brain, your experience, you've seen it all, you've done it all, situational awareness, et cetera, you, you, you got to know what down it is in that setting.
2: You know, Mike, I had NFL GSIS up, which is the official stat of the NFL, and, and I immediately, when he held up the four, I went and looked at the play-by-play because I'm thinking – all right, officials have, have screwed this up before. We saw the fifth down in Colorado many years ago and, and things like that. I immediately went back to the play by play, and Troy was trying to defend him. Troy Aitman was trying to defend him, saying, You know, oh, you lose it when you spike. And I went back and looked, and obviously there wasn't even a spike in there. He just lost no track spike. of the downs. Yeah, There was no spike, and he just lost track of the downs. It was obvious. And they didn't leave the field. I mean, if if you didn't think it was fourth down, why didn't you? I mean, if you knew it was fourth down, why didn't you leave the field? I mean, it's, it's obvious he had no idea it was fourth down
1: couple of questions before we wrap. At All Happy Teams, do you think with all the data people, cameras, and media apparatus it's time for a lineman to win an award, why not Offensive Rookie of the Year, Shereen? Uh, will it be a time for a lineman to win an award? I mean, it's one thing for a defensive lineman like an Alan Page, but offensive lineman, I, I just, there's too many stats generated for the guys who benefit from great offensive line play to not win the awards.
2: Mike, I voted on these awards for a really long time. And in 2016, 2018, sorry, I voted for Quentin Nelson for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And I thought he was the best rookie. He was the only all-pro rookie. And Saquon Barkley won it. And you you can't argue that. I, I get it. I mean, he had a ton of yards. He played great as a rookie. But I thought, to me, Quentin Nelson was the best rookie in the NFL that season. And I think you could go back to Zach Martin in 2014, who earned all pro honors as a rookie again at the guard position. Maybe if they were left tackles and had come in and done that, maybe they would have had a chance to win the award as it was. Quentin Nelson, I think, got one vote, which was my vote. So yeah, it's going to be hard for one of those guys to win it when you've got rookies, especially quarterbacks, putting up big numbers.
1: Well, Tristan Wurfs won something last night. It was not an award. He got a free ride <laughs> yes. from uh, f- from Khalil Mack. All right. This one's funny. CZ Wald, what's your best guess for an episode of Seinfeld dealing with COVID-19? It's no joke, but sometimes you got to laugh to not cry. I just envision George being in a hazmat suit everywhere he goes, because that's what George would do, yeah. and Kramer being at the other end of the spectrum. Walking around buck naked, thinking that somehow is going to protect him, just acting like it's no big deal. And then Jerry and Elaine would be in the middle trying to reason with both of them.
2: I thought, immediately thought of the soup Nazi. Like, I want to hear him, you know, no, you know, you come in and no soup for you because you're not wearing a mask or something. But I can see the soup Nazi being part of that commercial, too, of that episode, too.
1: All right, we apparently have some sort of a GIF relevant to that question. Let's see what we have here. I'm, I'm afraid to ask. Oh, well, that, that would, <laughs> yes, that would, uh, that would be Kramer. No mask, uh, no money, uh, yeah. and I'm out. All right, L. Scott 2 with the GIF. And uh, are we done? We're done. That's it. We're done. Jeez, thanks for the warning, Matt Casey. That's it. We'll see you next week. Enjoy the games. <laughs>